podcast one production. One of the topics we love to cover on the next billion seconds is the future of whatever money is becoming. Money is an odd thing. We are always well aware of how much of it we have, how much of it we need, how much of it we want, but we never really look at money itself. And that's meant it has been able to change right in front of our eyes without us noticing. Money is really quite different now than it was even just a decade ago. And this next decade, money will blow our minds. Through our cryptonomics and beta bank series, we've been tracking the transformations in money. They've been grinding along bit by bit. All of that's about to change. Now, there's a great line. I think it's from Ernest Hemingway's novel, The Sun Also Rises, in which a character explains how they went bankrupt. Gradually, he says, then all at once. And that's what's happened to money. It's changed gradually. And now it's going to change all at once. So it's no longer a time for gentle pronouncements about the shape of the future of finance. It's time to start to talk about the economic transformation of, well, everything. It's time to be bold. It's time to make some calls about the future. You see, The whole point of this show and the ethic that motivates everything connected with the next billion seconds, it's really quite simple. We tell you what you need to know so that you can make the best decisions in the weeks and months and years ahead. So we're launching this series. This is series five with something a bit different. We're at the start of a new decade. And this decade will be very different than any decade that preceded it. It will be governed by four big trends. So in these first four episodes, we're exploring each of these trends, setting the stage for Series 5, introducing the main themes, the main players, and the main predictions. Now, that's a new thing, too. I'm a futurist. I make predictions. Predictions are my stock in trade. But you've not really heard me doing that on this show. I let the guests tell their stories. I let the stories set the scene. I let you draw your own conclusions. But this time, in this series, it's going to be a little different. I'm going to take some risks. I'm going to make some big calls, predictions about the future over the next decade. And once those predictions have been made, we'll be able to revisit them. At the end of this series and the next, and the series after that, and so on, all the way to the end of the decade. And we'll see how much of the future I got right, and where I got it wrong, and how and why. I'll lay out these predictions clearly. I'll explain my reasoning. We'll look at the forces in play. And that's where it could get a little uncomfortable, because each of these predictions points to things in our future that are well beyond our control. And GameStop traders are at it again today. The Reddit group has already managed to push the price of shares in video game retailer GameStop up 1,600%. Comsex Craig we can watch the future unfold. And where it suits us, we can lean into it. 
where it's safer, we can get out of the way, where it's possible to get out of the way. But what's happening over this decade, it is so much bigger than us. And when it comes to money, being the master of your own fate is incredibly important. But it's just as important to know your limits, where your ability to change the world trails off. And that's where the world picks up. In this first episode of Series 5, we take a look at the changing nature of money and how that will change the rest of the world, because few things touch us as frequently or as pervasively as money. So follow along as we make some predictions on the future of money in this episode of The Next Billion Seconds. The transformations of money in the 21st century, they began all the way back in 2008 with Bitcoin. Now, back in the first few episodes of Cryptonomics, we explored the three big reasons why Bitcoin could be used as money. You can count it, you can prove that you own it, and it's nearly impossible to counterfeit. These qualities, these qualities that Bitcoin possessed, they are the same qualities that any digital money needs to possess. And there have been a lot of imitators of Bitcoin. Some of them are just clones. They copy all of the computer code used to create Bitcoin. They slap on a name change and voila, it's a brand new cryptocurrency. Some of them are improvements. Ethereum, which we've also covered on Cryptonomics, adds the ability to create smart contracts. It's a bit of a computer program that is actually tucked away within the money. It's money that thinks. I call it smart money. Uh, but what does that money think about? Well, it might think about whether or not it's time to pay someone. It might check to see whether the conditions for that payment have been met and then automatically transfer itself from one electronic wallet to another. And yes, money can do all of that now. But that's just the beginning. And here's where I can make my first prediction. We're just now reaching what futurists call an inflection point. That's where there's enough awareness about something that it really begins to take off. We've had smart contracts for about five years. It took a long time for people to get their heads around them. Why? Well, finance people don't think about computer code. And code people, they never really thought about finance. And now, now we're seeing something new. We're seeing people with hybrid skills who understand finance and also understand the code behind smart money. And these folks, they're already creating new financial instruments built out of smart money. Over the next decade, this smart money will grow from something that almost no one has heard of to something that people will be using every single day. Okay, so what will we be doing with it? Well, saving, spending, investing, all the usual things. But we'll be doing all the usual things in different ways with smart money. So on the surface, it might look much the same, but behind the scenes, it will all be almost completely different. The opportunities here are for a new generation of digital banks, the beta banks, as we call them on this show, to use smart money to help them to offer the same products and services as much larger institutions, but do it with much lower costs. And that will change banking. It will change the kind of money that's stored in and flowing through these banks because that money will be smart money. In a moment, we'll take a look at what happens when money goes fully digital 
and all money becomes smart money. Back in 2015, I tried to convince New Zealanders that they needed to take their dollar, the Kiwi, and make it digital, make it just like Bitcoin. The world needs a state-backed digital currency, I told them, and you can pip everyone else at the post. You can have the great trading currency of the 21st century. It's yours for the taking. And, well, they thought that the idea was interesting, but too weird and too risky. So they passed. But the idea of a broadly available state-backed digital currency, that idea didn't go away. It only picked up steam. So when, in June of 2019, Facebook unveiled its own digital currency, this one is private, it's not state-backed, but it's backed with U.S. dollars and similar big currencies, that came as a bit of a shock to bankers and to central bankers, that is, the folks who actually print the money. No one really wanted Facebook printing its own digital currency. And in the time since then, governments have done everything in their power to put barriers up to slow Facebook down, to give the banks and the central bankers some breathing room. Because digital currencies are an idea whose time has come. And you can't stop an idea whose time has come. Cannot, will not happen. So... Just a few weeks later, when the Chinese announced their own digital currency, they pointed to Facebook as the reason they'd hurried things along for an announcement. China has been testing its digital currency electronic payment system since the second quarter of 2020. It's rolling out now to more and more users in China by the time the Chinese host the Winter Olympics, and that's in February 2022. They expect that it will be how most visitors at the games will be paying for things. And they're not alone. Nearly every major economy has a digital currency project in the works. The Chinese are the first to go to market, well ahead of Facebook, which still hasn't launched anything. But others aren't far behind. In November of 2020, the Reserve Bank of Australia announced it was working on a digital currency. Not for consumers, though just for banks, so they could settle their transactions amongst themselves. They will be building this digital currency on top of Ethereum, so the Reserve Bank is deep in the process of creating its own Australian smart money. And here's my next prediction. By the end of this decade, all of the 10 top most traded currencies will have gone digital. That's the U.S. dollar, the euro, the Japanese yen, the British pound, the Australian dollar, the Canadian dollar, the Swiss franc, the Chinese renminbi, the Swedish kroner, and yes, the New Zealand dollar. Already, China's official currency has gone digital. The Swedes, the Europeans, and the Australians are hard at work on their own digital currencies, and there are projects underway in most of the others. By the end of this decade, even the Kiwis will have come around. It'll happen gradually, then all at once. And all of us will be using digital currencies. And that, that changes everything. Yet the oddest thing is how little difference it will appear to make on the surface. You'll still go into your cafe, you'll order a coffee, you'll pay by tapping, whether your watch, or your 
phone or your card. It will look just the same. Everything underneath, though, will be different. Today, it all happens with this very complicated dance of transactions and approvals between your credit card, your bank, and the merchant. It's all over in just a few seconds if everything is working just right. And when it's not, well, that's when you can't buy anything at all. And that happens from time to time because when everything is so carefully strung together, it can also fall apart very easily. By the end of this decade, when you tap your phone, digital cash will exit the electronic wallet that resides in an app on that phone and will be deposited directly into the point-of-sale terminal where you've been tapping. It will look just like a tap-and-go transaction, but it will work just like handing over banknotes. At the end of the day, the point-of-sale device, it sends its accumulated digital cash to the bank. And that's the first the bank has seen of it. And even if a thief tries a smash and grab on that point-of-sale terminal, they won't be able to get to the cash, not without the correct password or fingerprint or some other ID. So digital cash is more secure than physical cash. And for both businesses and consumers, less troublesome. But digital cash... It's not really about us. It's not really meant for people. Sure, we'll use it. It'll be great. It's really meant for the machines. For example, many cars already have a scannable pass in them that automatically charges a credit card when they use a toll road or bridge. That pass will contain an electronic wallet with digital cash sitting in it. And when a toll needs to be paid, it will be paid directly from that wallet. That means an electric vehicle, and there will be a lot of those on the road by the end of the decade, an electric vehicle can pay directly for the electricity it sucks up at a rapid charging station. And it means that same car can be paid directly into its wallet for any electricity that it sells into the grid during a time of peak demand. Digital cash means pretty much anything with a little bit of smarts can hold and use a wallet, can spend money or collect it. And that may not sound terrifically revolutionary. It is, though. It's huge. And it's time for me to make another prediction. By the end of this decade, digital wallets will be showing up in a larger and larger percentage of all of the electronic devices we manufacture. And we will be finding surprising new ways to get these devices to spend money or make money for us. Not just phones, not just cars, but almost anything that's connected will have a digital wallet. And when we add a digital wallet to something, we will rethink its purpose as a financial service. People will build up whole ecosystems of these financial services, cleverly working out how these devices can exchange value with one another. And in most cases, this is not going to be a lot of money, just a penny or two. But there will be billions of such devices making thousands of transactions a day. So very quickly, that adds up to real money. The road from a world where digital cash is mostly just an idea to a time where it is everywhere and in everything, while we're on that road and we can see it happening slowly, we don't know what it looks like as it suddenly happens all at once. Money is power. So a lot of people will want to have their say about this transition to digital currency. 
Facebook, Facebook learned that the hard way. And these fights over the future of digital currencies are just beginning. They will shape how and when and why we use it. But none of that will stop it. It's coming. Gradually, then all at once. In our next episode, I'll make some predictions about what we can expect across this next decade in another case of gradually, then all at once. Because the world has been warming ever so slowly. And now it seems as though the effects of that warming have become visible all at once. That's on the next episode of The Next Billion Seconds. The Next Billion Seconds was written and presented by Mark Pesci, producer Alex Mitchell, and sound production Darcy Thompson. If you like this show, hit the subscribe button. And if you know someone who might like it too, please share it with them. This is Mark Pesci, thanking you for listening.